0: Welcome to the Message Podcast for Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. Make sure you join us each Sunday at 9 a.m. on Facebook Live. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road and a new campus in East Rockingham at 414 Southeast Side Highway in Elkdale. In addition, at our Harrisonburg campus, we have a Spanish campus that meets on Sundays at 1145 a.m. Check out our website, cotnaz.org, for more information.
1: Thank you so much for being here uh, ahead of the snowstorm that is allegedly coming. We were kind of joking this morning that uh, how y- your response to snow may be an indicator of your age. Now, I know some of you can still be a little more older and still appreciate a good snowstorm, but I, the older I get, the less I want to be a part of one. <laughs> so I testify that I'm getting up there, but anyway. Hey, I want to ask you something. I want to see if something happens in your life like it does so routinely in mine. Does, does this ever happen to you? You're going into the pantry to look for something, and you look, and you look, and you look, and you just can't find it. But yet then someone else will come right behind you, walk right up to it, and grab it off the shelf from in front of you. Does that ever happen to anyone? Oh, yes, man, y'all are helping me already. I'm not the only one. Because, you see, this happens to me all the time, all the time. I'll I'll be sent on a mission for cream of mushroom soup to the pantry, right? With even the added commentary, if I just got some this week, I'm like, great, this will be easy. So, you know, you roll into the pantry, and you're looking, and you're looking. (laughs) You're moving the sugar, and you're getting the paper towels, and you're looking, and nothing. Honey, it's not here. I don't see it. Well, then, honey, lo and behold, comes by and walks in and just grabs it. It's like, what is that? (laughs) I can't begin to recount to you how many times in my married life, and even if you asked my mother, it would have been an experience from childhood that that happens. What is that? Now, I've been married for more than five minutes, and I know this that I can't find stuff, so I know that about myself. So instead of saying something stupid like, honey, we don't have any, we must not have gotten any, I say something like, honey, I'm sure it's here, I just can't find it. Because, men, if you want to live long and prosper in peace, (laughs) be gracious. (laughs) But as much as we can recognize this in our own lives, in so many different areas, because it's not just a pantry for me. Like, I can walk into a room and see a light fixture out of place or see something out of level, but totally miss, like, a juggling clown over here in the corner. Like, it's a problem. But if we can realize this about our lives and we know this about ourselves, is it possible that that same phenomenon, that same uh, block to seeing things could show up in our spiritual life? Could it show up even in our relationship with Jesus? Could we be overlooking something in our lives that Jesus is calling us to see, he's calling us to address, or, or, or perhaps we can't even see Jesus. We, we haven't even found that beauty, that transformation that is right before us. With that, I want to welcome you back to our series in the book of James. Uh, as we have walked through the book of James, uh, we, we've been taking a verse-by-verse a journey through, and it's kind of known as the Proverbs of the New Testament, and James repeatedly delivers truth that will poke and will prod in places in your life, and he just keeps bringing it, right? He doesn't hold anything back. He, he gives the majority of his space, the majority of his writing, his teaching is just to show believers how they're supposed to live out their faith. As we've journeyed and as we've gone, it's easy to see that James takes faith and action so seriously. They're so connected, they're inseparable for James. And we've almost become accustomed to him stepping on our toes, right? From joy and trials to to not playing favorites or judging others by outward appearances, to watching our tongues, to watching our mouths and our speech, to what wisdom we live our life with. James simply loves Jesus and his readers too much. To leave them where they are. He is calling us onward to a holy life. But as we're on this journey and we've been here for maybe I think 14 weeks now, where does this passion come from in James's heart? What maybe happened in his story that led him to write like he has written? With the many direct things he lays out, it may be easy to mistake James's passion as a love for rules or telling people what to do. Was he that kid in school that always got to feed the hamster and got extra snack and time at recess because he followed the rules? Maybe, but I don't know that that was his story. Because if we trace the story of James throughout Scripture, if we would come to Acts 15, we find a recorded meeting there where James and all the top leaders within the early church have come together. It's a meeting of the minds, if you will. And James is, is responding here, and, and he's giving some best practices for new converts as, as the church, the news of Jesus, is going out across the known land. But in the end, he actually votes against requiring new believers to fulfill the rite of circumcision, this old rite of Moses. And so we see him firmly staking the truth that it is only by faith in Jesus Christ that we're saved. He knows that it's by grace through faith, but yet he calls people to a holy life. His passion for a holy life goes beyond religion. It goes beyond rules. It's a a pleading from a passionate heart to see our lives different, to see our lives different. I believe James, from his unique position as the half-brother of Jesus, he, he experienced life in Christ. And he knows that it's so transformative, it's so magnificent, it's so revolutionary that if it doesn't change everything, he's questioning whether we've really encountered Jesus. Have we really seen him? The truth is is that if our actions don't show that we love Jesus, our words are no substitute. Did you catch that? The truth that James is is trying to get us to see throughout his letter is that if our actions don't show our love for Jesus, our speech, our words are no substitute. James is calling us to so much more beyond adjusting our lives a little bit here and a little bit there. He's calling from his own renewed heart, his own experience, he's calling us to be radically different because of an encounter with Jesus. I think it's an overflowing passion from James that we see in his letter that we find coming through the pages of the text. This week in our study of James, we're going to pause our progression through the letter and we're going to look at the man himself, at perhaps the heart transformation that took place in his life. So we're going to take a deep dive, if you will, into the man behind the letter of James. What was his story? What was his life journey and faith like? Where did this passion come from for radical obedience? Where did that come from? If James' life has been transformed, can ours be transformed too? Would you turn with me to Mark chapter 3 today? We're gonna, I told you we were going to take a turn. We're going to go back in the Gospels. Turn with me to Mark chapter 3, and we're going to begin in verse 20. Now, just a little context running up to chapter 3 in our text today. In the gospel of Mark, the ministry of Jesus is really gaining momentum and he's gaining popularity and people are following him everywhere he goes. Uh, Mark has repeatedly said that the people were astonished, that the people were amazed at what they saw and saw Jesus teaching and what he did with the healings and the exorcism and so many things. The people were astonished. They were amazed. And Jesus has been teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming truth. And we find in Scripture where people had never seen someone to teach with such authority. And as we come into our text today in chapter 3, Jesus is coming down from the mountain. He's just selected his 12 disciples and they find themselves entering a home. And so that's where we're going to pick up today in verse 20 of Mark chapter 3. It says, Then Jesus entered a house And again, a crowd gathered. So you can see that momentum. You can see his popularity growing. A crowd has gathered at the house. The crowd so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Now, we're reading about a packed house. We might assume that social distancing wasn't in play yet, right? But just imagine this scene for a little bit. The crowd of people trying to see Jesus is so big, they're so excited, they're so hungry for truth, they're so hungry to see his spirit, his authority, his teaching, that they're pressing in and the house is so full, they can't even get to the kitchen to get to the refrigerator to get something to eat. It's a throng of energy, people are pressing in. And just just take yourself there for a moment, a packed house full of random people, new friends. Surely there's people who are longing just to be healed. They maybe are blind or they maybe have been suffering from a, a disease and they're just pressing in trying to see Jesus. The energy, the environment there would be almost electric because the presence of Jesus. But yet, verse 21 records something totally different. A totally different reaction than that of the crowds, of of those who had come to see him, maybe to be healed. When Jesus' family heard that all this was going on, when they got word, they didn't come to join the crowd. They, They didn't come to hear his teaching. No, they actually came to arrest him. They came to bring him back home. The wording here that we find in this verse, they literally came to arrest him. When when that word shows up other places in the New Testament, it's literally to go seize someone. Now, I don't know how many times you've been arrested, and that's not important, but how many times do we think of being arrested for a positive thing? And so that's pointing a picture here that they wanted to pull Jesus back. They thought he was nuts, his own family. They missed it. I mean, you you think of this scene. People are, are flooding in from miles around. People had made days' journeys to see Jesus, and yet his own family is standing aloof and wants to arrest him. The ones that perhaps knew him the best didn't see him. They didn't see who he really was. As we pick back up in our narrative, uh, Mark takes a, a side route here as Jesus addresses uh, some of the, the Sanhedrin. Some of the uh, 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 Jewish leaders had come from Jerusalem as the controversy was increasing. They had come to also confront Jesus. But after Jesus addresses them, he, he picks back up addressing his family in, thir- in verse 31. It says, then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived standing outside they sent someone to call to him a crowd was sitting around him and they told him your mothers and your brothers are outside looking for you jesus answers them who are my mother and my brothers he asked verse 34 says then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said here Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and mother. Within the crowd that is pressing in, with the crowd that is seeking him, those who are on the inside, there are some noticeable characters absent from that inner circle. Jesus' own family. They missed him. They didn't see what was happening, all the healings, all the exorcisms, the teaching. The, the crowds got it, but somehow they missed it. The text says that from outside they sent word into Jesus. Like, can you imagine, hey, Jesus, come on, Like, that, that's enough of this nonsense. Let's go home. You're out of your mind. You're going to get yourself killed. Let's go. But look how Jesus responds. In just a few words, he totally redefines, he upends the definition of who his family truly is. He says, look, it's not just who knows about me. It's not even those who are related to me. No, no, no. My family, the ones I recognize, the ones I hold near and draw near to are those who do the will of God and those who have responded in faith to my call. Now, to be sure, Jesus didn't forget who his family was. He didn't forget Mary. He didn't forget James, his brother. But he makes a point here in this. In this story, he takes this opportunity to show that who he draws near are those who seek him. That's his family. Those who do the will of the Father respond in faith can you just just think for a minute the magnitude of that statement for us even today in one moment in one chaotic scene of a packed house Jesus declares that he welcomes anyone and everyone who is brave enough to just bring their mess, bring all their brokenness, all their pain. If they will come before them, he embraces the seeker and calls them family. What a beautiful truth for us today. What a beautiful truth that he stands open arms to those who seek him that that's the qualification to be known by Jesus is to seek him and to do the will of the father i wonder today friend in this story we've unpacked here just briefly in mark 3 where are you where are you in this story are you hungry for him pressing in the packed house, knowing and longing his embrace. Maybe you're outside. Maybe you're outside with James looking through the window thinking, this whole Jesus thing's nuts. He's lost his mind. Maybe it's skepticism. Maybe it's doubt. Maybe it's familiarity. But the beauty we find in the story of Jesus, and in the story of James, is that James' story doesn't end here. It doesn't end here in this moment of doubt, because we know that James will go on to live a radically different life than what we see portrayed here in Mark 3. His life was transformed. And the beauty of the gospel today, friends, is that your life can be transformed too. I'd like to share a testimony with you about transformation. Would you join with me?
0: When I look back at my life, I just think of so many ways that I was the typical American kid, really, until I wasn't any longer. Early on in childhood, playing sports, that was really what life was all about, and I have a lot of great memories of childhood, but one of the things that stands out the most is stress at home and pain at home and then just a whole lot of pressure to perform, to be the best at baseball, to be the best at football. I got a scholarship to play baseball at Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia. What I realized was that a lot of the anger that I had building up inside uh, from things that happened in my childhood just allowed me to start doing things and experimenting with alcohol and with drugs and with things like that ended up going from having a scholarship my freshman year to being cut from the baseball team my senior year. In the years after college, my life really spiraled out of control as I went from using cocaine and was using it all the time to selling and the spiral just deepened and worsened and my life got more and more out of control. I knew that if I kept going the direction I was going, I was going to end up either dead or in jail and I wanted meaning, I wanted purpose, I wanted structure in my life and so I joined the Coast Guard. I thought that my big problem was outside of me. If I can just get away then I can fix myself and when we hit port in Alaska I'm out on the town doing the exact same things. Drinking till I can't remember things anymore, Uh, chasing after women, living that lifestyle and it started to cause real anxiety real panic i started realizing i can't change but it was at that first unit that the lord really started making himself known to me through the first christian that i really ever recall meeting in my life it wasn't just that he talked to me about jesus is that he had a genuine joy about him and i wanted that in my life the end of 2009 i'd been listening to sermons online trying to put the bigger pieces of the christian message together and i still thought that christianity was about just being a good person and i really started trying to change myself but by the time new year's rolls around and i get back down to richmond virginia to celebrate new year's i dove back in headfirst to all of the things that i had been doing before i left richmond for the coast guard and things that i thought I had gotten free from and broken away from. What I realized the next day was, I am no different. And I just felt trapped, like this is all pointless. These sermons are pointless, these books are pointless, following Jesus is pointless because I'm not changing. When I got back home to my apartment in Maryland uh, from that trip to Richmond after New Year's, I pulled up a sermon by a guy named John Piper. I just thought maybe it'll make me feel better, maybe it'll make me feel like I can get back on my feet and try again. I didn't even know at the time what was in John three sixteen, but I just saw here's a sermon on John three sixteen as he was describing how you respond to this verse. You'll either live forever in hell under God's judgment, or you'll live forever with God in heaven. And it was right in between those two comments and me thinking and knowing in my mind that I was going to go to hell and I deserve to go to hell. I could just feel time slow down and like the crushing weight of my sin i could just feel it pressing down on me and then in the next moment the pressure the weight of my sin just fell off and it was replaced by the belief the truth that jesus is lord it was in an instant that my heart was just filled with joy and with hope and it was almost like god was just showing me john you have been trying for years and years and years you've been looking for joy you've been looking for hope and you will not find it but look at what i can do in a minute and that's like what he did he gave me a new heart in a moment these desires that i had to drink and to do drugs and to chase women it was like the things just fell away and i woke up the next day a brand new person when i saw what God was willing to forgive me of and the grace that he was willing to extend to me, it changed my heart and it helped me to see everyone around me in a new light. I'm just so grateful for what God has done in my life and and just be able to, to share that forgiveness with another person.
1: A life transformed by an encounter with Jesus. Um, John R.W. Scott says this. He says, in order to follow Christ, we have to deny ourselves, to crucify ourselves, yes, to even lose ourselves. The full demand of Jesus Christ is now laid bare. He does not call us to sloppy half heartedness, but to a vigorous, absolute commitment. He calls us to make him our Lord. So, what about James? We know that James's story began with familiarity, that the Gospels record other instances where we see James just didn't have the faith in who Jesus was. It was still just his brother that he used to play stick sword fights with in the yard and wrestle around. It was still just his brother. He didn't see him for who he really was. But in the storyline of James, ultimately something happened. Transformation took place to where the familiar gave way to living faith. From a doubting onlooker to a dedicated disciple, it was a transformation of grace. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is the Apostle Paul talking to the Christians at Corinth, and, and he's giving testimony about uh, how, how Jesus has risen from the dead, and he's, he's putting this out there, if you will, as a proof, trying to explain and get them to understand just who Jesus is. Now, the Apostle Paul, if we had more time today, we could unpack it, but there's a man that underwent a transformation story from persecuting Christians to telling the whole world about Jesus. Let's begin in 1 Corinthians 15 at verse 3. He says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And verse 7 records, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. Did you catch verse 7? It says, then he, the resurrected Lord Jesus, appeared to James. He appeared to James. In words that are so simple they're almost easy to miss, I think we get a glimpse of what happened in the story in the life of James. We get a glimpse of what happened that led him to be so passionate about living a holy life that he wanted everyone to experience Jesus. James encountered the resurrected Lord. James had an encounter with Jesus that changed the trajectory of his life forever. In that journey of grace, he recognized that he needed a Savior. That to simply be familiar with Jesus wasn't enough. To know what he preferred for breakfast or dinner or what his favorite wrestling move was in the yard wasn't enough. But that journey of grace moved and worked in his heart to where he understood he had a need he couldn't meet. And in an encounter of grace with the resurrected Lord, he surrendered to Jesus I believe it's that transformation from familiarity to living faith that causes James to write so passionately that we wouldn't miss it, that we wouldn't miss it. As we prepare to close today, I want to circle all the way back to a question I asked you a little bit earlier. Where are you in your Jesus story? Where are you in your Jesus story today? Are you in that packed house, a part of the family of God, enjoying the very presence of the resurrected Lord? Excited about the book of James because you know he's calling you on to holiness, to righteous living. You may be thinking, I don't even have a Jesus story today. you today if that's if that's really where you feel like you're at can can I propose something to you today that if you would say I don't have a Jesus story I would say you're wrong because you're here that's not an accident you could be getting your snow shovel sharpened or spreading salt or whatever you want to be doing today but grace got you here that's the beginning of your Jesus story today friends you have a story in Christ because he knows your name and he's longing to embrace you as his family that can be the beginning of the Jesus story that changes your life forever maybe today you would uh resonate a little bit with James in Mark 3 Maybe you've known about Jesus your whole life. You grew up with him. It's just a name in the house. You know the stories. You can recite the songs. You can go through the motions, but yet it's not beyond familiarity. You know somewhere in your heart today that you're standing on the outside of that house looking in. Maybe it's being skeptical. Maybe it's reluctance. You just maybe feel aloof or broken. Not sure where this longing for more is in your heart. Friends, can I I just be honest and say that I've been outside that window with James before? You know, and when you're on the outside looking in, you think you see it all, right? You look in there at those people around Jesus, and you're like, ah They're crazy. I'm not doing that. I mean, it's just a bunch of hypocrites, right? Just a bunch of broken people that have the same mess I do. You know, you think you see it correctly from outside the house. But what you don't see from outside looking in is you don't realize the transformation that those on the inside have found in Christ. You don't realize the healing that begins when you step into His presence. You don't realize a transformation. You can't see it. You can't grasp it until you experience it. Will you step inside today? Come in from outside that window. Just allow enough, just allow that much space that you might not have it figured out. And step into his presence and see what changes. See what changes. It doesn't matter where your story's at today. It doesn't have to end here. It doesn't have to end here. Jesus embraces those who seek him. Not just those who know him. Not just those who know about him. but Those who seek him and do the will of the Father. Would you pray with me? Lord, uh, we thank you for the life of James. Lord, for the passion that you put in his heart. God, who who used to win the wrestling matches? Who used to win the sword fights, Lord? But you know, Lord, what we thank you and we praise you for today is that there's transformation. We see it in James' life, Lord, and we want it for our own. Oh, God, forgive us from standing outside the window looking in, thinking we've got it figured out. Thinking we know what it's all about. And all the while, Lord, we can be missing the power of transformation. The transformation of your embrace. God, will you lead us today to your embrace? Lord, will you forgive us? For the things that we have put upon you, that we've put upon your church from the outside, God, thinking we knew. Lord, today we want to lose ourselves that we might find you. Lord, we want to know you today. God, I pray with those hearts that are seeking today. Lord, we're seeking healing. Lord, we're seeking redemption. Lord, we are seeking you, knowing that where you are healing takes place, and you embrace us. And God, as our story begins in your embrace, your grace, you have given us great teachers like James to help us understand the life that we're going to live from here on out. But in this moment, may it start with transformation with the laying of ourselves down, embracing you. We love you today, Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at for any questions about our church. When you're done listening, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.